Step back in time as we delve into a fascinating story about the Jewish communities of Cologne and Mayence around the period of the First Crusade. We will learn of an uproar caused by an extension to a shul that was adorned with imagery of lions and snakes. We will examine the halachic discussion that the Rabbanim had during that period, whether this violated the command against graven images. One of the, the popular, important svarim that come to us from Ashkenaz, from the period of the Bali Atoisvis on the Rishonim, is the Sefer Ravya. The Sefer Ravya was authored by Reb Eliezer ben Yoyol Halevi. His dates are roughly from 1140 to 1220. And in this Sefer Ravya, in Hilchas Avedezara, he writes the following passage and where he mentions an interesting story that happened with his great-grandfather. So let's have a read inside. And I found, I, and he refers to himself and to his sefer as Aviho Ezri. And that's because if you look at the name Aviha Ezri, you'll see that Avi stands for Eliezer ben Yoyol, and Ho'ezri is the same root as the word Eliezer, God's help, uh, help, and uh, so he referred to his Sefer, Sefer Ravya as Aviho Ezri. So he's saying that here he found a tshuva of Skenai, of his ancestor, of his great-grandfather, and here he gives the lineage. It's Avi Aim Imi, my mother's mother's father. Who's his mother's mother's father? Rabbeinu El Yochim ben Reb Yosef. So Rabbeinu El Yochim ben Reb Yosef is his great-grandfather. So his estimated dates are 1070, to 1150. Uh, the reason that's uh, somewhat Im of importance, as we'll soon see, is because there was a very big event that happened in Ashkenaz in 1096, was the event of the Crusaders, which is relevant to the time of year that we're in now. We'll talk more about that soon. So he lived through that period because, again, roughly speaking, his dates are 1070 to 1150. And this Rabbeinu al Yakum was a Rosh Yeshiva, a Rav, in a prominent, important city in Germany that had an important yeshuv, yeshuv of Yiddish Kehillah, and it's known as Mayans. In Hebrew, they called it Magensa. Sheheshiv, and he responded, Vihine Chuvasa, and here I'm going to give you the story. Here is his chuva, here is the responsum that he wrote. Al Habinyan, quote, so it's regarding the Binyan Shabanu Lisham that they built over there, Bebeis Hakneses. Bikolonia, in the shul in Cologne. Bikoisel Tsefaini, in the northern wall. There was a construction project in the city of Cologne. There was a Jewish kehillah in Cologne. And in the shul, they built in the northern section a new part of the shul. And, they, and uh, that's what he's referring to over here. Vitsaru Bachaloinois, and in the windows, or in the area of the windows, they made Tsurois Aroyois Unachashim, imagery of lions and of snakes. Now, the plain reading here sounds like it's stained glass windows, because the Lashon is Vitsaru Bachaloinois, they made in the windows, and it's true, right around this time is when stained glass windows are becoming really popular, and it could be that the reference here is to stained glass windows that had imagery of lions and snakes. However, later on in the Tshuva, he uses the language tsurois min hakoisel. When he says to take, you'll see he's not happy about it and he's going to recommend that they be taken off. He says, remove these tsurois min hakoisel from the wall. There it sounds like it's not so much stained glass windows. There it sounds like it's um, some little statuettes that were appended uh, to the wall that had this. So either way, whichever one it is, also most of the mechoidists that he's going to talk about make it sound like that it's not. Um, that it's 3D, that it's something that's uh, 3D. That's what's going to look like. So we're, we're going to go with that mahalach. Vitmaha, he writes as follows. Vitmahati harbe ama asukein. I'm very bewildered why they did this. They're changing the establishment. The earlier ones, he's writing, he, he himself is one of, right? He's one of the great Rishonim. But he's saying the ones before us, they never had this custom of, of, um, 
of, of doing such imagery uh, anywhere. And it's very well known to, I think he means here, to you. He's calling the people who he's writing to, The minig of the earlier generations is considered a complete Torah. In other words, it has the din of Torah and we can't just t- uh, treat it lightly. It's interesting because we're, we're very familiar with the phrase, minig Yisrael Torah. Where does that phrase come from, the actual phrase? So usually you'll see that when people use that phrase, they refer you to a taisvis. The taisvis of Menachis. The taisvis of Menachis is later than this passage here. The taisvis is authored in a generation or two uh, after this. Um, here we see this phrase was already a phrase earlier. Obviously it's rooted in the Gemara. It's not a new concept. The Gemara already says that even if something isn't a din, but if there's a certain chumrah that a kehila takes, and this can't be thrown away. There's a very famous passage in Gemara Psachim about that. So the idea goes back all the way to the Gemara. But the phraseology saying minig is taira, we see over here in this passage, and this is his opening, his opening phrase that he tells the Yiddish Kehillah in Cologne, you're making these imagery on the northern wall, the main problem, the first thing that I have to say is that this goes against the established custom. In other words, we could take him for his word that in any area of Golos that he was aware of, there was no such a thing, there was no imagery in shuls, it, 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 it didn't exist. Okay. So now, when you read this type of story, we always want to know, so what is the circumstance in Cologne that led them to, uh, to do construction in their shul? Or another question to ask is, who are the people over there who are responsible for this type of thing? This is a very difficult question to try to answer, but we may be able to make a few possible suggestions. I'm, I alluded to earlier the fact that in 1096 was the story of the Crusaders. Because or Nimrods, what happened was the Pope made a hachraza that he's asking for Christians of Europe to go march toward Eretz Yisrael and to take back the land which was at, the, at the, that time being governed by Muslims. And Kachava, they did it and they were eventually successful and they conquered Yerushalayim and they created there the Crusader Kingdom. But on the way, as uh, one of the accounts of what happened is uh, written by a Yid who lived the next day in the 1100s, his name was Shloyme bin Reb Shimshin, and we're going to read from him soon. And he wrote an account of what happened. So he writes a very famous line that's quoted again and again when people write the history of the Crusaders. And that is, that as they're marching through Europe toward Eretz Yisrael, they said, why are we going all the way to the Holy Land to kill the infidels? We have infidels right here, the Jews. And so they started attacking Yiddish Kehillis. On Tisha B'av we say a piyot that's called Miyitein Roshi Mayim. This piot in the Kinnus, in Tishabav Day. This piot describes the Crusader attack on three Jewish kehillas. These kehillas are known as kehillas Shum, three cities. Shum is the Shin is for Spire, Shapira. The Vav is for Varmaiza, worms. And the Mem is for Mayans. And it goes from south to north, meaning Spire was the most south, Varmaiza was a little north, and Mayans was more north. North of those three cities, further north, is Cologne. So Mayans, where Rebel uh, Yochim is the Rav writing this letter to Cologne of these three cities, he's the one who's closest and he's sending his letter of protest that they're not allowed to do this. In this piyot of Miyat and Roshi Mayim, the Machaber of the piyot uh, only writes about what happened in these three cities. Spire, Verms, and uh, Mayans. He doesn't write about anything that happened in Cologne and in other places, though things happen in other places. Why? Because these were the three killers that had Rabbanim, and they had Yeshivas, and they had Talmidim. So this was considered like the crown jewel of Ashkenaz. And he was focused more on the loss that happened uh, in, those, uh, in, those particular, in those particular cities. But I mentioned before, Reb Shloyme ben Reb Shimshin, he wrote a more full account. And this was printed in a sefer that's called Xeris Ashkenaz Vitzarfast that came out in the 1940s. And we're going to now read from his account over there of what he says. I should, before we read, the, the piyot that we read on Tisha B'av, it gives the dates of everything that happened. And it's E.R. Sivan. E.R. and Sivan is the dates that these three cities were attacked. In fact, the city of Worms was attacked on Chof Gimel Ir. So Mamish the Tkufa of the, of the year that we're in. So now let's read from Rabbi Shlomo ben Shimshin what he says about Cologne. So it was Hey Sivan on Erev Shavuos. Ba Shmuel le Medinas Kolonia, Ir Noah, a beautiful city. Shama Nesu Eidara Esayf, 
many people, refugees, were there. So it sounds like Jews had run from the lower uh, Rhineland to uh, the higher, uh, to the more northern city of Cologne. Um, and, and they were, they were hanging out over there uh, in refuge. And he says that Cologne deserved this schus to be able to help these Yidin. Why? Because what was Cologne? Cologne, I mentioned before, didn't have the yeshivas. They didn't have the rabbanim. But what did they have? It was a chashva city. And the, the, the Gvirim lived there, and they would support all of the Yidin in the whole area. So he's writing over here that it was well deserved that they were helping the Yidin or running away from the Crusades because this was, the, this was their Seyyid al-Advarim, what they would do all the time. However, what happened was that eventually the Crusaders reached there. And they, came, they started murdering Jews there from Shvuiz, Ad Ches Betamos, through Ches Tamos. So this is a good few weeks of where there's persecution of the Yidin who are living there. And then he says, So they're breaking the houses, they're taking loot, and they destroyed the shul. They took the Titus and they abused the Titus, and it says, and it happened on Shvuz, that the Sifrei Titus were torn and were burnt. But what do you see here? You see that the, that the Shul went through damage. Now the dates work out, so you could speculate, and some have speculated, that maybe what we're looking at is a construction project that happened sometime behemshech to this onslaught on the Jewish community, and may, whether in 1096, or a little after in 1097, or in 1098, they want to rebuild the shul, and that's when they add this northern wall, and that's why and somehow this northern wall is getting the imagery of the lions and of the snakes, which is bothering Rav Yochim, who's unhappy about it. So that's one possibility of uh, how to look at it. There is another possibility, and for that, let's, uh, uh, and the other possibility will be that perhaps it's, it, 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 it did not happen uh, in connection with, uh, with the Hemshech after the Crusader uh, um, uh, persecution, but we may be able to know who were the people on the other side who the rebel Yaakov is corresponding with. And that's because in this same account from Abshalem ben Abshimshin, he writes about what happened weiter. Here he writes that it was in the, on the fourth day of Tammuz, it was a Friday, and the Crusaders came to a town called Ilna. There's a discussion exactly where this town is. But what's interesting about Ilna is that you had the Nedivim, meaning the generous supporters who lived in Cologne, they ran away and they were hiding in Ilna. And all of them were killed by the Crusaders. And then he says, one of them was the Parnas. Let's read this description together. Roish Lekulam Hanediv Sheben Nedivim. This is, he was the top. He was the... The benefactor amongst all the benefactors. He was the chief spokesman. And his name was Rabbi Yudah ben Rabbaravram. And his descriptions, he's a yoyetz, and he's a chacham, and he's an honorable person. And then it says as follows. When all the kehilis would come to Cologne for the market, Cologne hosted a market three times a year, and all the lower communities further south would come up to Cologne. He would speak in the shul this. Uh, everyone had to be quiet everyone had to agree with him they said uh, everything he's saying is right so in other words he's a shtickle uh, dictator this is a very interesting uh, message here that he comes from Shevet Don this could mean that he would say and his family tradition was that there is the lost tribe of Shevet Don and we come from them we know that in the middle ages there were Jews who did come along and say, we came, you know, we were with the Asara Sashvatim in this uh, secret place, and now we're here, and then they joined Am Yisrael, so either it means that, or somehow it means something else, like, no, he traces his lineage back the regular way, but we know that even Bisman Abayis, there were Jews from all different Shvatim who were in the time of uh, the second base Hamikdash, who were there, it was primarily Shevet Yoda, but maybe there were some remnants of some other Shvatim, and somehow he traced his lineage to Shevet Don. But anyway, this is an interesting uh, fact. Anyway, he's an Isha Munim, he's a Moifes Hadar, an amazing person. And then it describes how he would give himself over, dedicated, when his friends needed his help, because they were going through a tzara, he was always there, he never harmed anyone, he was of l'shamayim, he was nechmad l'brius. Okay, now he was killed in the crusader persecution we're learning in the year, in the summer of 1096. 
If you want to suggest, this is an interesting idea, if you want to suggest that this story happened before the Crusaders, which is possible, that this whole Misa and the Shul happened in 1095, 1096, before the Crusaders, then, at the very least, we know who Rabbi Yochum is writing to, because it's very clear from this description that he was the boss in Cologne. Everything went by him. When he spoke, he got up, he was the one who had the final say. In fact, so, the, so, 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 so therefore I'm saying one of two things. Either we know who it is, possibly, or we know why. Either we know that the shul was destroyed in 1096, and so they said, hey, let's rebuild it. Or perhaps we don't know why the shul was being rebuilt. It was just a regular refurbishing of the shul. But maybe we know who the people were involved, and maybe it's this uh, Reb Yudah ben Reb Avram. Now, the, before we move into, obviously, the issue here is that Rabbi Yochum was against this project, and he's going to make halachic arguments, and then there's other viewpoints, and we're going to get into that in a minute. But before we do that, I want to sh- share an interesting idea. So there's someone, there's a professor in Eretz Yisrael, who wrote a little bit about this. His name is Ephraim Shoyam Steiner, and he has a chap. I don't know, sometimes, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's true, but it's geschmack. So I'm going to share it, it's geschmack echap. And that brings us to this week's parsha. This week's parsha we learn about how the Shvatim would dwell on the different sides of the Mishkan. And we also learn that they had, they had a Degel. And the Torah recounts exactly how the Degel were. Now if you read the Pesukim, it sounds like there's only four Degolim. Because you have four sides, you have three Shvatim on each side, and each one had a flag, uh, and that's, what the, the, that's the way the Pesukim sound. However, the Medrash says as follows. Look at Bamidbar Rabbah, Parsha Beis. Uh, uh, section 7, where it says as follows, Simonim hayu l'chol nasi v'nasi. Every single nasi had their own banner, a mapa, meaning their own flag, v'tseva, on their own colors. And then it says, Hakol mapa o mapa, k'tseva shalavonim tevesh hayu alibel shalaren. Every single flag had the color of their particular stone that was an aren's choshen. And then the Medrash says a very interesting thing, interesting claim. All of the countries that eventually adopted flags, they emulating the Jews for the Shvatim who did this. It's a very, it's a very unusual type of thing for the Medrash to say, but this is what it says. And then it goes and it lists every single one of the Shvatim. <clears throat> We're not going to read all of them. Let's go to Yehuda. For Yehuda, his stone in the Choshen was the Neufech. So the Medrash says, what color is that? That's bluish. So what was his flag? His flag was bluish, looked like the Shemayim. What, and what was the image on his flag? An Aryeh. Why an Aryeh? Obviously. Gur Aryeh Yehuda. The Vayechi, Shevet Yehuda is linked with Aryeh, so it makes a lot of sense. Don. Don had his own flag. What was the color? So his stone was a Leshem. And the Leshem is similar to a Sapir, which the Mepharshim say is a blackish uh, type of uh, color. And what was the image on his flag? It was a Nachash. Why? Because in, in Parshish Vayechi, he done Nachash. Don is compared to a Nachash. Okay, and this is what we're learning about in this week's parsha. So, Professor Shoyim Steiner had an interesting idea. He said, what's the two images that are being made in the shul over there? An Aryeh and a Nachash. An Aryeh is Yehuda. A Nachash is Don. What was this man's name? His name is Yehuda. Aryeh. And what Shevet is he from? He's from Don. So that's a Nachash. So he said, maybe it's this big macher in Cologne who's building, who's sponsoring the extension to the shul, if you go with the theory that he's alive and this is happening before the Crusaders. And he says, we're putting my symbols in the shul. And we do know that uh, during the Middle Ages, it was very popular to have a family symbol and a logo and things like that. And so it's an interesting idea. Impossible to prove, but it's an intriguing, uh, intriguing theory. If you want to speculate further, you could say that maybe the Crusaders destroyed the shul. And they built the new wing, and then they said they want to do it, so maybe they did something like that. Who knows? There's no way to know. Okay, but anyway, let's now go into the halachic arguments and see why Rebel Yochum Bereb Yosef is so upset. The first thing he said is it's against the meaning. And sometimes that's like, you know, when, when, when a Rav wants to ask something, that's sometimes the first thing they say. It's against, it's, it's against the meaning, and that's enough. However, he doesn't suffice with that. He says much more. The primary passage he begins with to say it's Aser is a Mechilta. The Mechilta in Parshish Yisroi is stelling on the second uh, Dibra, Loisasa Lacha Fesel, that a person should not make a graven image. Zakta Mechilta, Yochel Loisasa Loglufa, you would think that this only forbids making a protruding type of, 
uh, uh, image. If it's recessed, like oiski carved inside a stoner, then it's okay. So Pesel tells me protruding is no good, and Vcholtmuna tells me recessed. This is a very long passage of Medrash. We're not going to read the whole thing. And we're, it starts saying, so then you would think this is okay. And then it comes says, no, it's not okay. You would think this is okay. And, you would, and it, there's like 20 items. But let's read some of them. And he, it, 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 he goes now to Apostle and Parsha says, Hanon. And he, he says, so you would think only a semel is a problem. A semel is, Mepharshim uh, Taich here means a human. But maybe Behemah Chayav Oif is okay. Talmud Loimar in Parshas Haschanan it says no Tavnis Kol Behem Asher Ba'aretz Tavnis Kol Tzipor Kanaf then animals and birds are also problems so you would say okay that's a problem but fish and grasshoppers and creepy crawly things are okay so we have a pasuk to negate that you would think okay maybe that's a problem but the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets that's okay so we have another pasuk that negates that. So you would say, okay, I can't do that, but at least I could do malachim, and I could do different types of malachim, malachim have different names. No, we have, go back to the second commandment, it says, and the hemshech of the words are, anything in the sky, and so therefore malachim, and all of this is not allowed. You have, very, you have a long mechilta over here, it basically goes item by item by item, and it says, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to make this. Now, when you're reading it, you may say, what it means is, and what's the continuation? Don't bow them, don't worship them. But no, it does, it could have, the title could have just said, don't worship them, don't bow to them. No, it says don't make them and don't bow to them. So what El Yaakim is touching this mechota is it's a standalone iser. There's one thing to worship idols. Then there's a standalone iser to make them. Why? It's an extra harchaka, an extra distancing. God wants to keep us really, really, really far away from Avedah Zara. So we say, not only you're not allowed to worship, not only you're not about to such a thing, but you're not allowed to even make them, you're not allowed to even have them, and we have a full laundry list here of every single item from the highest levels of malachim all the way down to the creepy crawly things that it's not allowed, whether it's recessed, whether it's protruding, this is a, a, a completely, a completely usher. As he says, Rebbe Yochim says, although you have good intentions, he's right, you have good intentions. Why is it a good intention? You want to make a nice shul, and there's an Indian to, to build a nice uh, shul. So he says, no. The second Dibra tells us we're not allowed to do it. And we learned in a Brisa, meaning Tanaic material that's not in the mission, is called Brisa, which includes the uh, which includes the Michilta, and he quotes the whole Michilta. And then he sums up, so we derive from here, this is uh, not allowed. Then he brings another passage from Michilta. And he says, what if you're wondering and you're saying, one second, in the in the Mishkan, you had the Kruv, and those were imagers that had a specific look and a feel with the wings and the faces. So if you're going to say, you had over the Kruvim, also in the Pareiches you had some imagery as well. So your argument is going to be, if it was permitted there, it's permitted also, he says, no, clearly you're not allowed to do that. Why? Because we have a Pasuk that says as follows, this is the end of Parshish, Yisrael, don't make gods of gold and silver. And the Mechilta teaches as follows. What does it mean? What's the possible being Shiloh? It's not a regular Avedah Zorah Iser. Regular Avedah Zorah Iser, we've accomplished many times in the Torah. That's not the end of Parshas Yisrael when it says, Alekei Chesav, Alekei Zav, Loyasulachem. That's not what it means. So what does it mean? Zokta Mechilta, he quotes it. Shaloy Saimar, don't say, because in the Beis Amiktosh, it's mutter to make these Kruvim. I'm going to make it in my shul. I'm going to make it in my base medrash. And then he says further, the Mechilta says, that even in the base Hamikdosh, if they would have been Moisif, if they would have added, instead of two, three, four Kruvim, that also would have been prohibited. In other words, the Kruvim is an exception to the rule. Only this, and only in the base Hamikdosh, and outside is not. And so when you read the Mechilta, it basically, if you read it objectively, you walk away saying, all these images are not going to be allowed. Doesn't matter where. A home, a shul, doesn't matter. No place, never, uh, shouldn't, it shouldn't be allowed. And this is the primary source that Rabbi Yochum brings. It's interesting because usually when Rabbanim write shuvas and they're going to say something is permitted or asr, they're going to turn to the Gemara. Because that's B'derech Klal. The Talmud Babli is the most authoritative 
uh, place where you're going to get halacha from. He doesn't do that. The first place he goes to after invoking Minig is he goes to the Mechilta. You'll soon see why. Okay. However, although we have no voice in Cologne of a Rav saying he disagrees, and we don't know if there were, we do know that there were Rabbanim who disagreed at least in the next door, at least in the next generation. But I assume you could say that maybe, maybe even in that generation there was already some disagreement, but at the very least in the next. Where is that? So it's the same Sefer Ravya, Rabbi Lezer ben Yoel Alevi, who's quoting to us this whole, he's the primary source where we have this whole tshuva from Rabbi Yochim, his great-grandfather. He also brings alongside his great-grandfather, he also brings another Maise. And this other Maise has to deal with, deals with another one of the Baleatosis, another one of these very famous Rishonim, whose name is Rabbeinu Ephraim. He's a little later, he's living in the 1100s. His rough dates are 1110 to 1175. And let's look at the case that he dealt with. They have these cloths that they place on the bima to honor the Torah. It's a little vague exactly what the function of this me'il was, but uh, we get the point. Oy, additionally, or something else, it's a me'il, it's a cloth that is placed a la cathedrois, a la cathedrois. Cathedrois is a Greek word that Chazal used for a cheer, an honorable cheer. In fact, it's uh, related to the word cathedral, because the cathedral has a chashva seat for, for, a, for someone who's deemed to be a chashva person. So, but that, this is the word cathedrois. So they had, what was the cathedrois? L'chavet amilo. A bris. You have a chashva cheer, right? Kiseh shalaliyo, he doesn't refer to it that way here. But he's referring to a chashvah chair that they would obviously do the, perform the bris on this chashvah chair and they would place these cloths on it. The bris happens in shul. So the cloths are lying there for a day or two. It takes a day to set up, a day to clean up. Not always, okay, good. And on these cloths, we have birds, we have fish, we have horses, and we have lions. The shayla that was being asked to the Befrayim, is in mutter in lav, is this allowed? This is the question that's being asked over here. And as you're going to see, he was going to be moderate. And you're going to see from his heter that he wasn't on the same page with Rabbi Yochim, who lived in the prior generation. Before we see why, what is his source to be moderate, I should just point out, so what do we have right now? We have one tshuva about some sort of imagery on the wall. We have another type of tshuva about some sort of imagery in cloths. And what's interesting is, you have to wait the next door to the generation of Maram and Rottenberg, who's in the late 1200s, and that's when you have the first halachic discussion about imagery in books, which is something that we spoke about previous years, especially before Shavuos and before other Yom Tovim. That's the first place where you see a discussion, of, oh, in a machzer, is it mutter to have images or not? So it's an interesting, kind of, I think you could say from this that, there, that in the earlier period there wasn't any imagery in the books. And the MS is that the Savart, the Machzorim that have come down to us today from medieval Ashkenaz, that have art in them, they take a date to the 1200s. That's where they take it from. So it actually is interesting to witness the Mahalich of these uh, types of things. Okay, but here we're before books. Here we're dealing with the cloths. Rabbeinu Ephraim is Matir. Why? He quotes the Gemara and Avedizor. Very interesting line here. Mankit Rav Sheshes, Chumrei Masnyasa Vitani. Rav Sheshes would normally, at his minig, of he would take Chumrei Masnyasa, the hardest Mishnas and the hardest Brises, the ones that were most complex, the one that uh, people, people's head would, get spin, would spin when they would learn it. Rav Sheshes would say, you know what, that's a challenge. I'm taking on that challenge. We're going to learn that Mishnah. We're going to discuss and figure out what it means. Okay, so now you already know that the Brisa that we're going to be reading right now, although it may sound simple, you're going to see it's actually quite a complicated discussion. And it leads in Gemara Avedizara to two, three blot of back and forth and back and forth. And it's really difficult to halt cup. But don't worry, we're not going to get involved in the whole thing. We're going to keep it uh, rather simple. On a very basic level, you could say the reason it's so difficult is because it contradicts the Mechilta. And in fact, the Gemara quotes the Mechilta and tries to peer this Brisa with the Mechilta. And much of the discussion back and forth is revolving around whether it could do that. that, that, that that's why it's such a complicated issue. What does the Brisa say? Kol hamazolis mutarin chutz mi mazochama ulevana. I'm going to tell you the way Rabbi Ephraim, Rabbi Ephraim is reading this Brisa. 
all of the planets, if you have, if you want to make an image of Mercury, of Jupiter, any one of the planets, go ahead, be my guest, make those images. Except for the sun and the moon, those two planets you can't make. What's the difference? Why all the planets is okay and the sun and moon not? You'll see in a second. Then the Braisa continues. And all faces of living creatures that have normal faces are, are also permitted. You want to make a cow? No problem. You want to make a lion? No problem. You want to, no problem. Human, that you can't do. But all other faces are okay. And now we're going like lower to like the creepy things, the things on the floor. All of those things are also mutaras. Chutz, Mitsuras, Deirokoin, except for a dragon, which for the Rashi actually says it's like a snake. For our purposes, we'll just say it is a snake, a dragon, a snake, or some uh, combination thereof. All other things is okay. So if you want to make a, 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 um, a, sta- a, a statue or a, some little image of uh, anything else that's on the floor, uh, no problem. So well, you obviously see this contradicts the Mechilta, the way we read the Mechilta. Mechilta said, motor, 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 uh, excuse me, Asar, 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 everything's Asar. Here we see that it's Nishasai Pashat. Here we see most things are motor. There's a very few things that are uh, Asar. Anyway, Rabbeinu Ephraim points to this, and so therefore says, what's the problem? You want, you want to make tzuris oifos, dogim, susim, ari, none of those four things that came up in the question are part of, are part of the iser. Okay, but Rabbeinu Ephraim has to explain, what's the logic of this b'risa? So he explains it very simple. What does he say? It's very simple. It goes like this. Is it normal for the nations to worship these items? That's a simple test. That's what's going on in the b'risa. And so therefore he says as follows. Planets, most of the planets were not worshipped, is what he's saying. This is his read. Now you can go look back in history and see whether this happened or not. The main thing is this is his understanding. The Chama, that's very famous. Societies that worship the sun, societies that worship the moon. So therefore, if the society worships the sun and the moon, so then we don't want a Yid to make it. Because if a Yid is going to make it and a Yid is going to have it, so all of a sudden, right, uh, we can start saying, oh, you know what Yankel has? He, 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 the language he uses is a Chshad. What's a Chshad? Why does Yankel have an image of the sun in his, in his house? Isn't that a little weird? And people start talking about it. Even if nothing happened, people are talking about it. And people are like wondering, like maybe he's worshipping it in private or whatever. But that's only if it's normal for people to worship that type of thing, which is true for the sun and the moon, but it's not true for anything else. And then, that's in the ratio of the Brisa. Then, for all other animals, what's the problem? Who worships animals? Adam? A human? A human being? Yet, there have been societies that worship like the Romans, their emperor was considered a god. The pharaohs, they were considered gods. Yes, so we understand that. So therefore, yeah, you don't want to have that type of image. And then what's the last one? Deirokoi. The snake is a problem. He's going to say, yeah, that too is worship. We'll soon see in a minute why. And therefore, it's a pro- and that's his understanding of what this price is. And all of a sudden, we have a very, very different read of what is Mutter and Asr. If you were reading the Mechilta, you're like, oh, we don't want any images. We're so disgusted by Aveda Zara that we want to stay so far away that just cancel the whole image department. And when you see this Gemara, and I told you before that Rebel Yochim doesn't start with this Gemara. He'll come to the Gemara in a minute. But his main thing is the Mechilta, because if you want to go for Iser, Mechilta is your best spot for Iser. If you want to go for Heter, which is what Rabbeinu Ephraim wants to do, the best spot for Heter is the Gemara, because the Gemara really says it's only a few things that are Aser, and, and, the, and the controlling principle for the Gemara is, is this something that's normally, uh, n- normally worshipped? Rabbeinu Ephraim then continues and says, now, maybe Shveri may be wondering, what's this day? Who worships a, 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 a snake? So he goes on to say, he always wondered, he always had this Shaila. Then he said he found a Sefer that was written by a Chacham named Reb Shapsi. Reb Shapsi is Reb Shapsi Donalu, who lived in the 10th century in Italy. And he was a very famous Jewish, obviously, um, a, a astrologer and astronomer and like a doctor into the sciences of the day. And he has a sefer. He has a few for him that actually came down that have survived to this day. This passage, we don't know exactly where it is, but basically he writes about a belief. There was a certain society that believed, believed that there's a certain uh, imaginary line in heaven that is where the, the sun's path and the moon's path, something complicated that I didn't fully understand. And, and that... It looks like a snake, the way it wraps around this way and the way it wraps around that way. And so there were societies that said that, you know, there's astrology, right? The Mars could have influence on Earth and, the, and all the planets could have influence. So within the astrological model, that different planets have different influences. So they say that has the most influence more than anything, this imaginary line. 
somewhere up there. And then they say, and he says wrongly, because Reb Shapsi accepted astrology. But astrology is all Bayad Hashem. So it's like God is giving certain energies to certain planets to do certain things, right? But they believe it's a Kayach Bifnei Atzma. And it's a, this imaginary line is also a Kayach Bifnei Atzma. And he says that's why it's called a Nachash. And that's the Deirakoin. The snake re- represents something heavenly. So it's not because it represents something on the floor. It's because it represents something heavenly. This is how Rabbeinu Ephraim explains uh, what's going on over here. Which, therefore, we could say, yes, there is a Machloikas. But the Machloikas in Cologne is only about the lion, really. Because the snake could be a problem. Because even Rabbeinu Ephraim is quoting the Talmud Bavli, and the Talmud Bavli Taka has a problem with the snake. But Legabe the lion, we see Taka, there would have been another, there would have been another point of view. Now, we can do this all day, and that's the arguments back and forth. We're not going to do this all day. We're going to do one little taste of the arguments back and forth. In other words, how does Rabbeinu Ephraim deal, Rabbeinu Ephraim is the one who says, Images are okay. How does he deal with the mechilta? And the other way is Rebel Yochim. Rebel Yochim says, images are not okay. So how does he deal with the Talmud Bavli? So let's just do one round of, uh, of this. What does Rebel Yochim say about the Gemara? He says, if you read the Gemara really well, you see that there's different ways of reading it. There's Abaya's way of reading it, and there is Rava's way of reading it. We're going to focus on Rava's way. He thinks Allah is like Rava's way. Rava teaches this whole b'raisa, not about what you're allowed to make and not what you're allowed to have. Different thing. You're walking down the street and you find an item, and the shayla is, you can keep it, and can you sell it, and have an offer from it. That's the whole discussion. And this is where the b'raisa says, oh, uh, m- most planets and animals you can keep. Except for a few, why? Because those few, if you found it, it's a chashash, it's Avedah Zara. Avedah Zara is Asr Ba'ana, so you can't touch it. But if it's not Avedah Zara, there's Asr Ba'ana, if it's not Avedah Zara, it's Asr Ba'ana, you can't keep it. You can't make it. A yid is not allowed to have these things. But go to the marketplace, make some money and sell it. That's how he interprets the Gemara. And he says that if you read the sugya really well, you're going to see that's the right way to read it. That follows Rava's way. And again, this is where that sugya is really is a hard, it's a difficult sugya to read. On the other hand, Rabbeinu Ephraim does not tell us himself the Mechilta. He doesn't even quote the Mechilta. He doesn't even quote the Mechilta. He just goes to the Gemara and he says that it's Mutter. However, the Beis Yasef uh, has a long piece on this in his commentary to the tour. And he brings both sides and he sides very strongly with Rabbeinu Ephraim, Lahatir, to be, to be Mekel. And he says, the Mechilta... Uh, the Mechilta didn't mean that you can't make or have any of it. What it means is, if a guy hires you to make it, for Avaydazara, you're not allowed. It's a little bit of a doichik because do you really need a Mechilta to say, you would think this, you would think this, you would think this, and to negate each and every single one of them if, if your mom is making L'shem Avaydazara? But that's how the Beis Yosef tells us Rabbeinu Ephraim would understand the Mechilta. It's if you're making L'shem Avaydazara, or at the very least, if it's common for these items, if you're living in a society, where it's common for all these items to be used for Avedazara. So then, yeah, that, that makes sense, right? But if it's Stamazoi, Stamazoi, he says, no, he disagrees, and, um, and, and that's how Rabbeinu Ephraim would deal with uh, the Gemara. Okay, let's continue along in our tshuva. We're still, Rabbeinu Yaakim made a protest. So far, in summary, he said, it's against the Minig, it's against the Mechilta. Ah, you have a Gemara? You're learning the Gemara wrong. That's only that it's Mutar Ba'ano. You could sell it, but don't keep it. That's what we have so far from Rebel Yochim. He added additional problems that become unique to Ashul. And he quoted the following Gemara. The Gemara in Brachas Tafhei Amir Aleph says as follows. A person should not have a Chatzitza between them and a wall when they're davening. Why? Because we learn from the story in Chizkiyom that Yeshayahu Anavi came to him and said, your end is near, and he turned and he davened Hashem, and he had Rachamim, and he was able to live. And we learn some dinim of davening from him, and one of the things he did is it says, He turned his face to the wall and he davened, so here we learn that there shouldn't be anything between you and the wall. Okay, so very, very often this din isn't observed. But what he says is as follows. Now you're putting up on the wall something you can't. But here you're putting up on the wall other things. There's the wall. And now there's something protruding from the wall, these snakes and these lions. He thinks that that's besides for the problem of the second commandment. You have a problem of a chatzisa between the wall and the person. Then he says another problem he comes up with. 
says as follows. A person that wants a skula for becoming wise, he should daven toward south. If he wants a skula for becoming wealthy, he should daven toward the north. What's the simon? Because the shulchan, which has the bread, which represents wealth, that was in the Heichal, was toward the north, the north of the Mishkan, Betzafen. And the Menorah, which is light, which represents more wisdom and Torah and enlightenment, that's Bedarim. And so therefore there is this skula that if a person davens towards north, it's good for Parnassim. Now, what's interesting, he says, he thinks that, that if it happens that a Jew wants to take this seriously and wants to daven towards north in order to have this skula, what's going to happen? He's going to be davening toward these items. In other words, like this, Cologne, is, they're, if they're facing Eretz Yisrael, they're davening east or they're davening southeast. Something like that, okay? North, no one's davening toward north. But it seems to him, we don't see this today, it seems to him he could imagine that it could happen, it's not Okafret, that a Jew would say, I know everyone is davening to Mizrach or Mizrach Dorim, wherever the, whatever the situation is, but I need a school for Parnassah. I'm going the other direction. And he thinks that that's a reasonable thing that would happen, which is, I find that fascinating. And so then he says, and you have a problem. What's the problem? The Gemara in says that if you have a thorn got caught in your foot, and you're in front of an idol, don't bow down to take it out, because it's going to look like you're bowing down to the idol. So now he says, I think you're going to have the same problem. What's the problem? The Yid, who's, who's facing Tzafin during his tefillis, he's going to be davening, bowing, because that's what we do during Ashman Esra, and it's going to look like he's bowing to these idols. And this is, uh, and, 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 and this is his additional problem that he, uh, that he sees over here. Now we come to the ending of his tshuva. The ending of his tshuva, let's read inside. He writes as follows, look at number 16. So therefore, my masters in Cologne, please, take, take, be careful about your honor and your dignity. Please, here's that phrase. Take those imageries, take that imagery off the wall. So you do not come to sin. Then he goes on and adds as follows, You shall learn from Chizkiah, where he did an interesting thing. We learn in Sefer Bamidbar that Moshe Rabbeinu, during a plague, made a snake made out of copper. And during the plague, the Yidden, when they would look at this Nechash, uh, they were healed. Well, it turns out that during the time of Chizkiah, this, this was preserved throughout the generations. And this was being worshipped. You didn't were worshipping it. You could understand why. First of all, the desire is all around them. And secondly, look at the history of what, of what happened to their ancestors when they were able to look at it and they had a refuah. So Chizkiah realized the problem. And what Chizkiah did is, the Lashon of the Pasuk is, Rabbi Yochum quotes it, is, He destroyed it. Because till that day, Jews were offering sacrifices to it. And Chizkiah called it Nechushtan. He just said, it's just a piece of copper. That's what the Mepharshim say, Nechushtan, this can't, this can't do anything, it's just a piece of copper. But that wasn't helping just calling it Nechushtan. So he took it and he destroyed it. Could you imagine taking Maisiyadei Moshe, this Nechushtan, and destroying it? In other words, he's saying, and, 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 the, the, and in fact, the Gemara goes further. The Kaimalan, the Gemara says, that this wasn't a chiyuv. He didn't have a chiyuv to do it. Why? Though Jews were bringing sacrifices to it, it didn't become a It didn't need to be destroyed. Why? And it goes on to say, the Gemara says, because the Pasuk says, and Chazal Darshin, that the Abish was telling Moshe when he made this copper snake, Lecha, he has to make it from his own property. And the rule is, I can't go and bow down to someone else's object and turn it into a davar aser. So this belongs to Meishe Rabbeinu. Yidin cannot uh, um, uh, turn it into a davar aser. And Afa became, even though it wasn't Minadin, Chizkiah saw it's causing problems. What did he do? He got rid of it. So what's his ending message? If you think about it, his ending message is very similar to his opening message. What did he open with? He said, Menig, Hepecha Menig, that really should be enough. Menig Aviseinu Tairehi. Then he said, okay, let's talk about halachic arguments. I'll bring you the Michilta. I'll deal with the Gemara and Avedazara and show you why it's not a problem to what I'm saying. We'll talk about the problem of Chatzitza. We'll talk about the problem of it looks like you're bound. And now what does he do and says, and even if Min Haddin, it's not obligatory, but look at Chizkiah. 
He was a king and he took something as holy as Moshe Rabbeinu's thing and he destroyed it and I'm asking that that's what you should do. Kivan the Chazah Chizkiah Melech Yehuda Dikatol Yisrael Abasrei when Chizkiah saw that the Jews were making this error Amad Vikitzai Kadeh Shaloyi Kashlubai so that he, he, he took, gathered the courage, and this is what he did, he destroyed it. Hachanami lo so to no different in our place, signed by el ben Reb Yosef. Okay. Now, interesting, this debate, this issue, that happened, is a, is a very long, there are many chapters to this story. And that's because this happens, either the 1090s, the 1110, somewhere like the, 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 in that kufa, you end up having this disagreement in Cologne. And just like I showed you, Rabbeinu Ephraim was dealing with it in the next generation about in the curtains. And I told you about the Marama Rottenburg dealing with the question of in the Maxoidim. This question never went away. And you can basically find in every generation almost, Behold der Vader, Rabbanim, dealing with this type of question, inshol and outshol, 3D and 2D and, uh, and colored and not colored and profile and front and there's always, it always comes back to this. This is the Yisoid. This is the Yisoid because this is the first. This is the first battle and a battle that has continued. And by the way, there's still difference of opinions even amongst uh, some Paiskim Adayoim on this issue. Now, what's interesting is that this came up in an interesting way by one, by one of the Sikhs of the Rebbe. So let's talk about how this came up in one of the Sikhs. Chav Cheshon Tavshem Emdalid. The Rebbe delivered a famous Sikhah and where he asked and suggested and pleaded that we shouldn't be inundated with imagery of trefa animals. Let's read a small quote from the Sicha. It's printed in the Kutta Sicha's Chelech Chafhei, I believe, uh, in the Isophis, and it says as follows. Use images of kosher animals. A Jew, and especially a Jewish child, we should be used to and habituated to have only Dvarim Tahoirim. And there's a lengthy Sikha, and the Rebbe brings the sources, earlier sources, that talk about this value of having, of having, of being surrounded by Dvarim Tahoirim. After the Fabrengen, someone wrote a note into the Rebbe and said that he goes to many shoals, and he sees that many shoals have lions. Where? So sometimes you'll see it on the Dekel of the Sefer Teira, holding up a Luchas. Sometimes you'll see it on the Parechas of Aron Kodesh. Sometimes you'll actually see a 3D image on top of the Aron Kodesh, where there's a Luchas with two lions that are holding the Luchas. Lions are not kosher, so what, what, what is the Rebbe saying about that? This is the question that someone wrote into the Rebbe. Now as a result of that question, the Rebbe wrote him an answer. And they prepared the Sikha for Hagah, and they were aware of this answer, so they prepared that answer as a footnote to go into the Sikha. And indeed, the first Sikha is all based on that original answer that the Rebbe wrote to this individual. So let's read the footnote, and let's see what the Rebbe wrote. We find that many shuls, and an eagle, you'll see this on the paroiches, you'll see it on the me'il, the decal of the Sefer Torah, and you'll see it on the keser of the Sefer Torah, on the crown. So how does this work with the fact that we shouldn't have these non-kosher animals? So the Rebbe answers as follows. There's a purpose here to remind the person about davening and serving God in the oifen of gibber kari, in the way of being strong like a lion. And indeed, this is quoted in the beginning of the tour, in the beginning of the Shulchan Aruch, and the Alter Rebbe's Shulchan Aruch as well, right in the beginning, based on the mission and Ovis that tells us to learn from a lion, Yisgaber Kari, uh, about learning about the, the, the strength of the lion. And so therefore, what's the Rebbe basically saying here? If you have a narrowly tailored purpose for something you're trying to achieve, then Bechavit God will use your non-kosher animal if it has that type of purpose. So Beflat, if it's a minig, that's been Lidoidus. So then, then, then that's justifiable. We're talking about something else, like stationaries and, and pamphlets and books. Good. Then the Rebbe said another explanation. Perhaps there's another reason we have these lines in Shul. Vulei that it's reminiscent of the Merkava. And that is his description from the Nevi'im of Lamaila of the Malachim. And it speaks about the Kisei Kavid. 
very, very, we read the Haftar on Shavuos about this, and one of the things it speaks about there is that there's animals, there are animals supporting this uh, throne. Obviously, it's metaphoric, but at the end of the day, even the metaphor has meaning. And one of the animals are th- is there is a Pnei Aryeh and a Pnei Nesher. So maybe we want to inspire people, and we, you inspire people by giving them a dose of spirituality, and you're reminding them about the Merkava and about the Shekhinah, and this may be another purpose. This is the, the two Biurim that the Rebbe said. Okay, then this footnote also included the answer to a similar parallel question. That brings us back to what we spoke about earlier, about the flags of this week's parasha and parasha of Bamidbar. Vanegea, the flags from the Medrash, the Rebbe quotes from the Medrash, Mavor Sham, if you look in the Medrash, you'll see, Shakol Tzirayah Kosher and Tchunas that every image was connected to the, uh, to the characteristics, the unique characteristics of each Shevet, and it had to be, because the Torah has it. The link of Aryeh to Yehuda and Nachash. And so this is really important stuff. And yes, there's a lot to learn on what is Aryeh and what is its connection to Yehuda and what is Nachash and what's connection to Don. But the reality is it's there and it's important. And therefore it was on their flag. And so again, you have a narrowly tailored purpose no problem, and that is why it's mutter, but for all, it's, 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 it's not a question of iser and heter, but that's why it's beseder, and for other times we should, we should uh, try to avoid it. This is, what, uh, this, is what the, this is how the footnote came out. Now, what happened was that the people working on the sikha, they wrote in a whole question about this based on some of the material that we're learning. That is, hold on, there's a whole shaila, there's a bechla mutter, and there's deis to oiser, and there's deis lahatir. So here we're writing that Aryeh's and shuls are all great, and the Rebbe gave two reasons why Aryeh's and shuls are great. Well, what about this whole uh, background conversation that's been going on in, in Judaism for a thousand years? So they wanted to know, like, should we add, should we get involved in this? Uh, the Rebbe wrote that there's no real need to get into it, and as a result of that, written correspondence with the Rebbe, there's a footnote to the footnote. So let's read the footnote to the footnote in number 19. I told you before that the Beis Yosef sides with the Rebbe Ephraim, right? He, he pushes away the view that forbids. And the Beis Yosef concludes, except for the narrow situation that we spoke about before. If you have an item that is commonly used as a Vedazara, then in a Hanami you're not allowed, but anything else uh, like that, right? As far as I know, we don't live in a society where people are worshipping lions, and so therefore, and the Rebbe also quotes a tshuva from the Efkas Reichel, and that is Beis Yosef's tshuvas, and here, there he was dealing with a Paroichas Shaila, of there were birds on an Aron Kodesh, and the Beis Yosef said, it's no problem, he doesn't see, he doesn't, there were birds on a Paroichas, and the Beis Yosef says he doesn't see a problem. So in other words, they asked, what about the other view or whatever? So basically the Rebbe is saying, look, the Beis Yosef, this is the side that, so to speak, history is on Rabbeinu Ephraim's side, which is more mekel, and so therefore, that's fine. But then the Rebbe added an interesting piece. He wrote as follows. Because there is, Tzavko Tzav, there is a machloikas, there is Rabbeinu Al-Yakim that we saw before, therefore, I brought... The second explanation, al-darach ha only as a ulai, only as an ulai, only as a possibility. The Rebbe went on to explain and write something I found fascinating. I had to read it a few times, so I think I figured out, I think I understand what the Rebbe is saying. Basically, the Rebbe is saying as follows. I provided two explanations for why you have lions in the shul. The first explanation I gave is because it reminds you that you need to roar like a lion when you're serving the Ebishter. So the Rebbe said, I did that, I'm saying bipshitas. Then I said, v'ulai the Merkava. And I only wrote it as a ulai. Why? There's a big difference between the two. One is, it's a nice thing. The Merkava, it's a nice thing. It's spiritual. It reminds you of spirituality. There's no directive there. There's no message for you. There's no call to action for you. Maybe it's inspiring, but it doesn't say, hey, you, this is what you need to do. However, the first explanation does exactly that. It says, you see this lion? You need to be like a lion. You need to daven like a lion. You need to learn like a lion. And so therefore, so the Rebbe says, interesting word. I think everyone, even the Deya of Rebbe Yakim, who's machmir and doesn't allow anything, if it's for that type of reason, if you're putting a lion into shul to remind the person of Hayrab Poyol that's in a for his life, I think even Rebbe Yakim is going to agree. 
The second reason, okay, it's a Merkava, it's a nice thing. Okay, it's, that's, that's all that Rabbi Yochum said. Yeah, you guys, Kavanah's L'Shem Shemayim, Zekeli Vanveil, you want to make a nice shul and everyone realizes you're coming to a prominent place. That's nice. That's not going to cut it. That's not good enough to make it uncontroversial for Rabbi Yochum. And so therefore, the Rebbe says, so therefore, I only said that beer as a ulai. Because one view would actually say, out of the shul, no lions, I disagree. But I think that the view, even the view that Asers, if it's a view, if the reason the lions are in the shul is the call to action of his gabra kari, that a person should be gibra kari, Bechavet Gadol, even Rabbi Yochum, would be okay with it. It's a moiridike chiddish, and it's a moiridike chap. It's also an interesting idea, but you see the emphasis on the cute Vartoira, or the generally inspiring Tvar Torah versus the one that's a, a demand and a call to action and that says this is a, something that you need to do and the, the, the way the Rebbe viewed these as, as two very different things and so, so much so that even the Rebbe Yochum that we learned zero tolerance, even he would bend uh, for this type of thing because that's how important uh, Maisa B'poyal is. Um, okay, so uh, I should also point out one other thing that in the original Maina when the Rebbe wrote the response the Rebbe actually wrote the Merkava answer first, and he wrote the Mizgabra Kari answer second. And then when they prepared the Ara, the Rebbe turned it around. And now we see why he turned it around. Because the main answer is the Mizgabra Kari. That comes first, and that's the main one. And that's not Ulai. The second one is Ulai, because again, Rebbe Yochum would be against the second one. Okay, now let's conclude this year. So go like this. I mentioned before that La'erich Kal there were different opinions on this, coming down to our generation. And there's a lot, a lot of literature, again, and it goes into a lot of different nuances. What about this? What about that? This is what I mentioned before. So, I think it's fair to say that there's chilukei minhagen in this area. Some places won't have a lion in their shul, and some places would. So this relates, the fact of chilukei minhagen relates also to the flags that we spoke about before. In the Bamidbar Rabbah of this week's Parsha, there's an interesting medrash. And the Tzadik HaKoyen in the Sefer Pri Tzadik brings this medrash. The medrash says as follows, that when the Yidin were experienced Matan Teirah, they saw the Malachim. And they saw the Malachim were divided by groups. And each group had their own flag. This is what it's described. And the Yidin got jealous, it says. And they said, hey, we want to have flags. And so the Yibishur came and Parsha Bamidbar said, okay, no problem, here you have your flags. So a lot of Mepharshim ask, what's this business? The Yidin saw flags and they got jealous of flags. What's going on over here? So he explains the significance of this. He says, what's a, what's, what's a, what's a flag? The flag is, is distinction. It's distinction. Every Malach is distinct. Yeah, Bechlolos, they break down into groups. Really, every Malach is distinct. That's why we have this teaching that a Malach can't do two Shlichasen. Because I'm, I'm, this is my Indian. My Indian is Rafua, I do Rafua. Something else, that, that's someone else's shlichas, that's not my type of thing. What the Yidin saw in the Malachim's flags is that they saw you have a whole army that celebrates this distinction. Each one doing their own thing, their own shlichas and their own unique avoida. And that's what they said, that's what we want. We want to also have that. We want to have clarity on what each, mission, what each Shevet's particular mission is. Shevet Ruvain has one general Mahalach and Avedis Hashem. Shimon has his own Mahalach and Avedis Hashem. And the the Mekubalim say that that transfers over, though we don't have Shvatim today, but it transfers over to the different Kehillis. The different Kehillis is the same thing. It's like the different Shvatim, and each one has our own Avedis Hashem. And the Yidin were saying, hey, we want that. We want to have that type of distinction. So the flags that we spoke about earlier is also a way to think about the fact that there are Chilukim and Hagim, and the Chilukim and Hagim reflect the fact that there are differences amongst Yidin, and that those differences express themselves in multiple ways, in Avedis Hashem, and in Hagim, and in other, in, other, in other ways as well. So I'd just like, want to conclude now on the theme of a lion, because what I think everyone could agree is on the idea of Yizgabar Kari itself, that's definitely a value that's in the Mishnah, and that's definitely something we can do, and in the shir that we saw tonight, I think we saw two very strong examples of Yizgabra Kari. First of all, let me remind you about Reb Sheshes. What did Reb Sheshes say? I don't care about the hard prices and missionaries. I'm dafke going to them. That's the courage and the strength of a lion to go to those difficult passages and to try to uh, tackle them. So like when it comes to Rambam, and we're going to be dealing with Hilchas Kiddush HaChaydash, we're going to do this, right? We're not going to run away from it. That's number one. Number two, is there's another Yizgabrikari that we had in this uh, shir, 
And that is the victims, the victims of the crusaders. We say in Avarachman, which is a tefillah that we say uh, about them, in Sharim Kalu, they were stronger than lions. The Kiddush Hashem that they went on. And we spoke before about the leader, Reb Avram, uh, Reb Yudah ben Reb Avram from Sheva Don. When you say Avarachman, we're including him. And we're including all his fellow Jews who, Minsharim Kalu, Goveru, So I think the larger theme over here is to lionize. No, not lionize, but to like become a lion. That's why we say.